Hi everybody and welcome to this episode 8 of the Inspired Marketing Group podcast. Uh, my name is David Coglin. I'm one of the co-founders here and I'm joined as always by my co-founder Richard. Hello. Hey and um, this time I'm uh, again I'm really excited actually to be joined today by a former colleague um, and a good friend and a pretty bloody smart business person, uh, Ross Cox. Hello. Good to see you, Ross. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You too, guys. I'm looking forward to a lively discussion about how we work. <laughs> Brilliant. So, um, so obviously, we worked together back um, at OpenWorks in the BC world, um, which was pretty fast-paced and pretty crazy. Um, but you bugged out and started your own thing. So you basically you made the brave leap. Um, a few years before Rich and I did. So tell us about Disface, tell us about how it started, what you're doing, how it's going and what you're doing now. Of course. So um, my my journey, unlike um, like many other people, is a little bit kind of convoluted and lots of bends and turns, but I will try and take you through it and, and kind of help you understand where we got to and why we got to where we are now. So um, I spent, as you know, quite... A large number of years 10 plus in a in a kind of corporate financial services environment and as was consistent with that world it was as you mentioned high paced high pressured um constant impending deadlines where the world was going to end if we didn't hit them um long hours lots of emphasis on kind of prioritizing work over everything else you had going on yeah. um, and i think as you kind of transition from a a single person to somebody that kind of gets into a serious relationship and then has some small children, you start to reflect on how work and non-work elements of your life fit together. Um, and I think um, not unusually, the kind of roles that we were doing uh, were in environments where, you know, you had to put work first and you had to make certain sacrifices. And that meant kind of, you know, childcare before kind of school before nursery, childcare afterwards, um, childcare during school holidays, occasionally missing out on things that might be really important to you kind of from a personal life perspective. So first nativity plays or sports days and making those difficult decisions because your livelihood is important, your job is important and therefore um, you have to make some of those sacrifices. And for a long time that didn't kind of sit very comfortably with me and I wondered if there was a a different way of operating, being able to be your best professionally, but also being able to be your best as a, a, a husband, wife, father, friend, and how we could fit those two things together. And I guess in parallel, um, over the 10, 15 years that my career was taking off, technology was kind of accelerating at a similar sort of pace. And so whilst people were going into offices and doing commutes and spending lots of time at desks, they also had access to devices that, that essentially left them on 24 seven. And so whilst your employer made it really important for you to be at work between the hours of eight and six, Monday to Friday, actually what was increasingly happening was you were working again during the evenings, you were working again at the weekends and invariably you were going away on holiday and you were checking your emails and you might occasionally kind of sneak off with your laptop and, you know, 
throw out a little bit of work that you felt was really important. And so you were in this kind of office based nine to five kind of industrial style factory environment, but you were also working outside of that as well. And work was absolutely consuming everything you did. Um, and there was an expectation on you that that, that was how you should operate. And people um, perceived that those that were most visible were the ones that were working hardest. And ultimately, those that were most visible were the ones that were going to get on, were going to be promoted, were going to achieve success in their career. Um, and after doing that for a number of years and after starting to feel guilty and actually quite sad about the things that I was missing out on in my private life, I wanted to break free from that. I wanted to do my own thing where I could kind of make some decisions completely objectively about when I worked and when I didn't. And I wanted to see if there was a way um, to make some money by providing some of those tools to other people that were like me that wanted some of those services. And that's kind of ultimately why I made the leap. And that's part of how this space became, came to be in the first place and, and kind of where we originally looked at, at kind of pitching it. Yeah. So, yeah. I, 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 I mean, that, I find that amazing. Like literally you've just described probably my late 20s early 30s and and I I felt it I saw it I partly partaked in it but it felt wrong at the time but for whatever it was whether it was that stage in your life where you've got to earn a bit more money to to kind of you know get a mortgage and do all of that stuff but when you were talking then I was just writing down I was flashing back to the competitions in terms of who was last out of the office. That was a badge of honour. Oh, I was here till eight o'clock last night. People sending emails on a Saturday morning to prove they were working. But that email was, oh, is anyone finding the internet slow this morning? When are you razzing it? No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not logged on. But they, they happen all the time. And it, it, it's toxic. And it becomes this cycle that you're on. And it's, man, yeah, wow. It, literally flashback, big time. Yeah, I, I mean, I've got so many, so many stories of kind of behaviours that I saw from uh, people that ran businesses, people that worked in businesses and, and kind of most, you know, most kind of sadly from, from myself, as you've just described. So, you know, looking back now, sitting there and going, it's more important for me to be doing this piece of work, which actually in the grand scheme of things, even to the business I was working for, wasn't that important than it is to be spending you know, half an hour present with my young children, actually focusing on them, enjoying spending time with them and being uh, not being distracted whatsoever by what I think is more important over here. And actually, I'll touch on this a bit more in, in detail later on, but actually it's become really, it, it was really difficult even, even now kind of three years on to, to stop being institutionalized by the things that, have been drilled into you that kind of nine to five that that sense that actually you can't go and spend an hour walking around the the neighborhood and getting a coffee if it's in that nine to five you can't go and do some exercise at 11 o'clock in the morning because it's in that window of work and mm -hmm. um, and it's been hard so hard to shake off those behaviors personally and I think that's a that's a sorry state of affairs and I, I'm pleased to see you know not only with the kind of businesses that are emerging like yours that are kind of speaking to um, this new style of working, but also people's 
increasing honesty that's come out of the pandemic, the, the humanization of us as, as, as workers, where we've been able to feel like we can now go on LinkedIn and say, here's a picture of my, me and my kid. They've been sat next to me this morning while I've been knocking out a proposal. Or, you know, by the way, last Friday, I just sacked everything off and I, I kind of I went to Alton Towers and had a, had a bit of fun with my, my teenager. Um, and I love the fact that we're, we're starting to break down some, some, some barriers there and, and behaviours are starting to change. But It's been, it's been forced, hasn't it? And, and actually, so if you went to any kind of therapy session, they'd almost say, you know, take a pause from life, just, you know, step back and just reevaluate. And I think the lockdown made everyone reevaluate everything from work to relationships to, to whatever that, that looks like. But it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, and, and I think... It's a top-down approach which drives that behaviour, and it's the leader at the top, you know, in my experience, who actually installs, instills that culture into a business, and and it takes a brave leader to change that. And and I remember one who really stands out to me, and she turned around and said on a Friday night at six o'clock to 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 appear at mine. What happens if you don't send that email? Go home and see your kids. What happens if you don't send that email? She's like, well, they won't get it and they won't do this. And will that person actually do anything when you receive it at six o'clock on a Friday night? They probably won't. So why don't you go home and see your kids and pick it up on a Monday morning? And you could see the fear in that person going, yeah, but, but, I can't, but I can't, I've got to send it. And it's like, who's going to die? Mm. Nobody. Go and see your kids. And it's, it's probably, you know, we're all of a similar age in terms of it's like a, <clears throat> you know, a cultural thing in terms of how we've been brought up, you know, work hard at school, study hard, get a good job, go to uni, whatever it is, and, and you kind of just get on that hamster wheel. Do you think that over the last 18 months or whatever, the, there's almost, like you say, Rich, there's been that reset and actually the attitude of people like us, employees, is now going to drive it? I think we've touched on this in the past, Rich, we're actually, like you said, it's sort of, Culture is driven top down, but now what's happening is culture is, is being driven up. So the employees are now dictating how they want to work, when they want to work, where they want to work, etc. We we said it before in a previous podcast that basically the the revolution, the industrial revolution, etc., has been like companies driving the change down 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 the internal chain. This I think this reset now employees have just gone. No, I'm going to demand more, and it's almost like the the, the change is being forced bottom up now. I think um, so. There's some interesting things going on. There's clearly, there's clearly a bunch of people, um, and, and most of us with pensions indirectly that have got a lot of money invested in real estate for whom they have vested interest to try and drive people back to the old world, um, and that's not going to go away overnight. There's going to there's going to be a kind of ongoing battle amongst certain types of um, certain types of individuals and certain types of businesses. Um, but it does feel like we've got a bit of critical mass as as kind of the employed um, to, to draw to keep that kind of change going through. Um, I, I think there's certainly from and I'm generalizing, but there's a school of executives that are probably a little bit older than us for whom it's actually difficult for them to get their head around the new way of working because they've spent so long in the old model. And, and they some of them won't change, not because they're kind of resistant per se but just because they don't get it it's, it's not their world it's a different life and therefore you know we I think there's going to be a bit of waiting for those people to retire and be replaced by the the next generation of executives before this really takes hold mm. um, so 
the, the battle's definitely not won. Um, I think there's a lot of, for every good thing that's happening, there's also a fair bit of lip service going on that's kind of let's appease people for now and hope that they kind of get back into line at some point in the future. Um, and, and one of the things that always makes me laugh is that the amount of employers that have suddenly gone, well, if it wasn't for COVID, you know, we wouldn't have discovered that the technology could make people productive. The technology has been making those same people productive for 10 years, and that's why they've been answering emails in the evening, at the weekend, and on their holidays, right? Yeah. It's been squeezing every drop of energy out of them, and, and they've been saying, actually, I want to take a little bit back. So, um, and my my kind of, my biggest thing that, that, that I recognise from my history of being employed is, every time I went on holiday, I never entirely settled and enjoyed it, because... I had two I had two approaches I could take. Approach one was go away, don't look at your phone, turn it back on when you get home. And approach two was look at your phone because it's better to know what's going on and feel okay about it and relaxed than it is to not. And in both of those scenarios, approach A, I'd just spend the whole time wondering what on earth there was in my inbox to screw me over by the time I got home. <laughs> Approach B, I would invariably find something in my inbox that wasn't really that important, but somebody got their knickers in a twist that then set me off. So every holiday I ever went on, I was stressed because I was always wondering what was going on behind the scenes. And I loved it when it was a, a weekend while I was away because I was like, well, at least there's not that much going on. And I always loved Christmas because it was the one time of year where most people weren't working and you could actually properly <laughs> switch off. What a miserable way of existing that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's move from our woes as as previously employed. So tell us about Dispatch because I think the concept was amazing. And um, yeah, tell us about that. So we, um, myself and, and Ben Hansi, who's, who's my business partner, whose kind of background is a, is a CTO at, a, at an EPOS company wanted to see what we could do with software um in this particular space um so we didn't want to we didn't want to kind of build a consulting business we were very much you know build a product and and, and sell it multiple times um, the thing that we were quite interesting in interested in was a concept that had, was starting to emerge a little bit in the us which was the idea that there was a growing army of freelancers remote workers that was only going to increase um, that needed a distributed network of places to work that weren't their home, um, that were affordable, accessible, that had other people in there like them that they could build a community with. Um, and at the same time, there's a bunch of uh, venues that were largely in hospitality and had lots of traffic into them during the evenings and the weekends, but were very quiet during the day and had kind of spaces with wi-fi and coffee on tap and the idea is is we build a platform to connect the two together so we'd create a membership base of you know um distributed workers and we'd create a network of places that they could use with a single membership and we'd kind of hook them up and that was the, that was the original concept behind the business um for us which is, which is amazing i mean like looking at it today that's that's the answer to so many of these businesses challenges right yeah it, it, it is i guess the, i guess there were two things that that, that that didn't quite work out for us one um timing so we were 18 months prior to covid and, and the kind of revolution of of people's ideas about work 
Um, and the other was, if if you were to truly have more people working remotely more regularly than than weren't, then a bit more kind of thought as to where they were located and therefore where they would need accessible space to work from. So we attacked it in, in what we believe to be a sensible way, which is to go into our city centres and kind of build city centre venues. Now, the problem with that was that if people were travelling into the city, they were invariably already going into an office and therefore they didn't need an alternative space. If people weren't doing that, they were outside of the cities and they didn't want to commute into the city because that was that was one of the benefits of not having to, you know, be part of an office culture. So it we didn't quite get the adoption um, that we needed to, to kind of make that work. Um, but there have been certainly even at the time we were we were working, there have been a couple of um, organisations that do a similar thing in London and in the big capital cities where the model's slightly different. Everyone lives in and around the city. You can't afford office space. You don't have a property big enough to have a, a room with an office in where they've done really well because the network's on the doorstep and it, it's, it's a great model. Um, we've sort of moved away from that. But as I kind of mentioned in, in a blog piece I wrote uh, about a year ago, actually, I think the model is now is now absolutely right. But the, the, the tweak to it is that people are now spending their time in the in the areas that they they live in which aren't generally cities they're kind of suburbs and towns and villages and therefore if you could create those networks in the redundant spaces that are in there then i think people would use them because they want to have an alternative to home they want an environment that's slightly different they want to be rubbing shoulders with colleagues and other people that are doing the same thing and just getting getting a slightly different experience so yeah. For us, timing and kind of execution wasn't quite right, but I still fundamentally believe in the concept. And I think this idea of kind of community-based workspaces will eventually be kind of part of the future of work. And is that, is that something that you're looking at, at now, at continuing with? I think the challenge for us, and we, we did look at it during the pandemic, is, is we never wanted to be a, a bricks and mortar business. So we didn't want to own real estate. Um, and because you know the benefit of hitting 10 big cities is there's 10 big cities to go after the, the downside of doing something like this is you've got hundreds of different places where you need to build a spot so mm. i don't think it's not right for us right now because we're, we're kind of concentrated elsewhere um but i'm very supportive of the model um anybody that's kind of on the same wavelength we we talk about how we can help them with technology and i think where we've got to now with our software solution that we provide um, for venue hire and space hire and bookings is that there's a real consultative led approach to the venues we talk about where we try to get them to adopt a kind of community workspace model as part of the resources and the facilities that they offer out as a, as a venue owner so we, we don't deliver it per se, but it is kind of part of our toolkit when we're talking to venues about how they can make more of the spaces and the facilities that they have within their portfolio. Yeah, got it. Because I think it's almost, it's like, um, it's a real opportunity for loads of these places. So back in the day, I used to run a sports club and we, you know, we had a conference space and we were always trying to think about how can we utilize the space? How can we make money from the space? Um, and it was always just sort of 
you know, one-off bookings, these people will come in and do a thing. But actually, the, the shift in um, approach could be that, you know, you make this a community hub. It was based in, in um, the park in Nottingham, which has got sort of 1,500 houses around it, quite a few professionals. If that was an open sort of available space with good Wi-Fi, coffee, all, all of those things, there's a bunch of people, I'm sure, working in that location that would happily drop in for a place to, like you say, rub shoulders, meet people. I, I, I think the concept is amazing. And like you say, I think that it's almost a, a mind shift, isn't it, in terms of what these spaces can be used for rather than, you know, whatever you've just traditionally sold them as. Uh, I mean, if you if you took if you took the WeWork concept or, or you know independent co-working spaces, which again yeah. have largely popped up in city centres, um, because people think that have always thought that's where you needed to be, and you lifted it and you dropped it into so take Nottingham for Nottingham for example, massive employers, Experian, <laughs> Capital One, Boots huge employers that presumably now have a large percentage of their workforce spending in some kind of hybrid model so they're not they're not in the office um, most of the week and um, if you looked at where those people if you went and chatted to those businesses and said roughly what's the map of where your em employees live you would get your kind of west bridgefords your your mapleys your beestons and if you then lifted those you know cool co-working concepts and you drop them in to those residential areas as you've just described for the park i have no doubt whatsoever that the adoption of that would be great particularly if you built those community services around it so that you had you know a means for them to communicate to each other you had people coming in and doing talks or offering business support you had a social aspect so that there was a you know you replicated the thursday friday night after work drinks but in in the locality you know you hooked up with your local PT and you said rock up at you know eight in the morning at lunchtime and take everyone for a run or a bike ride or you get your local bicycle repair guy and you get him there on the on the front fixing people's bikes during the lunch hour this there's such a kind of interconnected um set of resources services people that you can build out of of that hub that's in those places where people live they don't want to go into the cities anymore because that's the that was part of the painful experience of kind of the old model of working so i think it's exciting it's it's you know like i say i don't think we're going to be building that solution because there's a variety of reasons why that's not a priority for us right now but we're we're certainly excited about it and we're certainly involved in in kind of thought leadership and supporting the people that might want to go down that route and i think that's the thing for me is it's it's not it's not about everybody jettisoning full-time work and becoming freelance is not about everyone because I think that there needs to be that kind of you know some people want to socialize we're social creatures some people want to socialize rather than work from home in their office it might not have the right space and I think that and again I think we've maybe talked about this before Dave as well is almost like the next evolution of an office to me is satellite offices in like you like you're describing in the fact that you don't have a massive head office where you know where you big logo above it but actually how many people not even commute into cities but commute 30 40 50 miles to get to a different city if you could go to a central place where there's other people you can communicate to and talk to but you're still working for your company i think that's that's got a lot of merit to it and i think i think i personally i think that's people's 
when people say they want to go back to an office full time or whatever that looks like, that isn't about the bricks and mortar of that building. That's about social interaction. And, and if you can get that remotely and I can go to my local business park, which is a mile down the road, but still work for a large corporate from that office and you're hiring a desk space or a small space, that's perfect. I think it's really perfect. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I, I, I mean, I've not been in a, in a big business for a while and I've not seen how HR departments have responded to what's happened with COVID and I'm sure some of them have done a fantastic job and others have not not so good but um part of this is when I see things on LinkedIn about four day weeks and you know arbitrary stuff that that's that's not the answer to this it's not about replacing one kind of rigid set of rules with another rigid set of rules that might feel a little bit more kind of human friendly it's about recognizing a couple of things one is that everybody is entirely different right and therefore you take kind of two two demographics so one is is kind of older people who I, i'd put in the i don't know 45 to 60 bracket broadly who have just had that model for so long that that that's what they need you know little things like if their laptop stops working they want to have it support there you know on demand to come and fix stuff they just they just need that kind of answer and then you look at people at the other end of the spectrum um who want to go into the office because part of that early stage of your professional career is is about the work that you produce but it's also about the things that you learn from people um both professionally and socially it's about the people you meet you know let's be honest lots of people myself included meet and and, and marry people that they work with right there is a huge kind of human element to it um there's things like training and mentoring that that you know absolutely work a hundred times better in person so you've got to factor in all these different needs all these different um human behaviors and different types of people and you've got to come up with a a model that kind of delivers different types of services to different people and and is a mixed bag ultimately from a what the business does perspective is output focused not time focused um but there is a there is a kind of an underlying um underlying set of principles that allow people to work learn and socialize through work in the way that and the way that suits them as individuals all of that to me makes sense um and the, the one thing i always come back to in my head and i've been thinking about this more and more the biggest thing people throw up about why you can't go back into an office or why you need to go back into the office is training how do you learn if you're if you're remote like and you're not speaking with people and and the lightbulb moment to me was was open universities in the fact that, you know, universities was very much you had to go and that's what you did. And then they created open universities. People are still learning law degrees via open universities, massively complex stuff. So why can't you learn a job or a skill or a trade remotely? It, it, you know, the precedent set with open university. And, 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 and to me, it's, it's, it's what you touched on very early on. I think it's attitude of businesses and, and whether that is the business the leader, whatever that looks like, they nine times out of 10 will dictate how that company is structured. Um, mm -hmm. 
and it's about their personal preference, not how it could be structured. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. It's, it's, it's control. Um, and, and one of the things you have to think, if you're, everybody's been in an office where the, the kind of the most senior person in the room, they might sit behind a glass door, but they'll occasionally come out and yell and go, Dave, where's X? Or they'll fire off an email and say, whatever you're doing, stop, and you need to write this up for me. Um, there's a big onus on leaders to, to, um, to relearn leadership on, in this new world, right? It's a completely different model of managing people. Um, it, you can be a lot lazier if all you have to do is open your door and scream at somebody than you can if you've got to think about, A, prioritising their work, and B, doing a decent job of professional development, right? So if you think about our experiences of professional development, I would say the majority of them are you're with a manager, there's lots of interaction, you get a general feel for what they think about you because you're interacting with them during the course of the year. You know, they tell you if they're pleased, they tell you if they're not pleased. And then you sit down once a year, they try and remember what objectives they set you 12 months ago. You do a bit of an exercise, everything gets ticked off, you get a rating and, and away you go. Um, but so, so that that kind of review process is, is, is actually shite. Um, but because they've been interacting with you so closely, at least they have a, you know, 80, 90 percent accurate view of, of what you've been producing. If you're not visible and you don't have those little interactions, you've got to be much better at all the structural stuff that that helps them form a view of the work that you've been doing, the way that you have been delivering, how you've been interacting. So the old model allows lazy managers and lazy leaders to be lazy because they can just yell, scream and see everything that's going on around them. A really, <clears throat> a really good point. It's really, really insightful because I know, I know, Richard and I were laughing while you were talking then about personal development plans and annual reviews and all that stuff. And I, I think you're absolutely bang on. You're absolutely bang on because they're just—it's lazy, right? It is lazy. It's completely lazy. And yeah, it's interesting. And I guess is the they go back to your point about control because. You can't, it's almost, you know, you need to be better at management, but also if, you, if you're not getting the outputs that you want or expect or need, have you got the evidence you, to exit that person in a performance management point of view as well? So it's kind of all of the, you know, the learned, I guess, learned behaviours and structures just fall down a bit, don't they, if you can't eyeball people. But, it, but it's not because because this is where technology comes in. So, so we know that actually technology allows you to do stuff. So, you know, if somebody walks through the door at nine o'clock in the morning, you, you know that because you're sat there. If you're working for a large corporate, you can tell when they've logged on or logged, not logged through. I know I'm simplifying it. Technology enables you to do that. G-Sheet G shows you what they've done and what they've not done in order to It's just a new way of working. And why I laughed about the appraisals, oh, Christ, let's call a spade a spade, they're bullshit, is that <laughs> basically it's based on a bloody bell curve as well with a financial bonus attached to it. And, you know, Dave's brilliant, he's brilliant, he's brilliant. Well, we can't all be brilliant because we haven't got enough money for that. So you're going to have to <laughs> It's bollocks. It's just like... Yeah. I, I, to be honest with you, I'm, so it's worth calling out that I've managed people and I have been shite, lazy leader doing rubbish 
appraisals as well. So I'm not kind of putting myself outside of this. Um, I, I just think actually everything, when, you, when you're output based, right? Everything and, and you're remote, actually what you do, not how you behave, but what you deliver is more visible, right? Because the only way that you communicate the things that you have been doing is by making them tangible and, and make and allowing people to see them. Now that doesn't mean there isn't a lot of activity going on in the background when there isn't any output or the output's half formed. So I, just because I've got a proposal to do and you haven't seen it yet, it doesn't mean that I'm kind of in the bath reading a book. That I'm kind of, I'm, and I might be actually, <laughs> but um, I'm sort of forming that. I, I just think. That, there's an idea that you can't performance manage someone if you can't see them, which is utter crap, right? Actually, if you've got them, if they're, if they're remote, you have to be much clearer collectively about what your expectations are of them and um, what you need them to do. And then as long as you're agreed on that and you've communicated that to them and they understand and you've done all those checks, you're then waiting for the work to be produced. And then either the work gets uh, if the work doesn't get produced, then you've probably got an issue. And if the work gets produced consistently and it isn't of the standard that you require, you've probably got an issue. So you can you can still identify those warning signs that might take you down a performance management route. Um, and actually, probably more so because everything has to be tangible in the end. Otherwise, there is no interaction between you whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about, you know, oh, my God, look at him. He's off. He's And this we've seen this happen, Dave. It, that guy keeps going at four o'clock because he's got to pick his kids up from the nursery. I don't really know what he does, but he must be shit at his job because... He's not committed. He leaves at four. He's not. He's, he's just not committed. Right. He's weak. He's... Um, yeah. At, or, he's just, or he's just bloody good at his job and he can do it quicker than anyone else. Well, here's the thing, right? So what, what, if, you're, what if your productivity is four times the other guy and your work is done in two hours and he's taking 10, right? The old school mentality is Mr. 10 hours, who's working till three in the morning. Wow, how committed is that guy? And you are a lazy sod because all you do is you clock, you clock on at 10, you're done by 12. And, I'm, you know, I happened to drive, drive through nearby where you live and I kind of saw you at the pub having a pint, right? On my time. Yeah. Uh, and the same goes for people that, you know, this, we're not homogenous, right? So some people function better at different hours of the day, right? So nine to five is just utterly flawed as a concept. I might work better at 6am till 10am and be awful in the middle of the day, feel sluggish and need to be somewhere else. It's just, yeah. I'd but but nine, nine to five... I, and again, I, this is a thought process which has just come to maybe quite random. But nine to five to me is the fact that the world the world's moved on, but the business hasn't hasn't moved on. So nine to five worked probably in the eighteen thirties when everyone worked on farms and factories, and at five past five we all went to the pub or whatever that looks like. As the world got bigger and actually we started doing global trades and stuff like that, I know I know somebody who, you know, her business, they trade in Japan, she gets up at two, does calls, goes back to bed at three, then gets up at, and that's that's her life because of how she nine to five doesn't fit into that box because her customers are global. And 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 I think that's been 
it's been set in stone that UK is nine to five in reality, and we struggle to move on. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. Um, and this isn't. I always think the defensive part of me goes, this isn't some kind of like woke movement where none of us wants to do anything anymore, right? We all recognise that you have to do work if you want to achieve your goals. Um, your goals might be different. So my goal might suddenly be, actually what I want to now do for a living is is, is stand on the beach in Cornwall and and kind of and sell ice cream. But we, we all, we all recognise that you have to graft. Um, it's just that, you can configure how you graft in a way that works for you with how you function as a human being and the other responsibilities, interests and desires that you have in your life. And that's what it's about. And I know people are going to come along and say, yeah, but my work, our clients need to speak to us between nine and five, or, you know, we need to provide certain operations 24 seven. That's absolutely fine. We understand that. It's about looking at the pieces on your chessboard and putting them in the right place to kind of deliver your winning move based on what your business requirement is. But that's when people just go to extremes, don't they? They just turn and go, that never works, you know. How am I going to get my um, <clears throat> Toyota assembly plant in my front room? Well, clearly you can't work from home if you're on an assembly plant. But it's about looking at job functions, roles, and what we've called before about shared services, you know, marketing, HR, finance, whatever you want to call it. They, they, they're ripe for having a new way of working. If you're sat in front of a machine, popping out bottles every 25 seconds, that isn't going to be a homeworking role. Thanks yeah. a lot. Absolutely. We, we understand, although, you know, there are more, there are probably more things, and a good example, even though everybody likes to moan about it, is, is GPs, right? So there is a, I, I'm personally of the view that actually having a, a telephone triage is the first step in the process with a GP is absolutely the right thing. And, and kind of, you know, businesses like Teladoc that are really focused on, on, you know, the revolution of, of doctor services are, are the right thing to do. So there are there are more things that can operate like this than people might perceive is the case. And, and your point, Richard, about kind of open university teaching is, is another great example. But yes, there are, there are certain things that physical location is important for, but that doesn't mean those roles can't have an element of flexibility in them. That doesn't and, mean and that the it... point is on that, this COVID forced that, that kind of mentality. So GPs is a great example in the fact that, so we're, we're with Vitality as part of our business insurance and they've always done virtual telephone appointments as part of their service. You can do a video call or you can do a telephone call and actually, you know, if it's something like earache, they can't diagnose it, so you've got to go to your doctors. But nine times out of 10, you can get a video appointment over the phone. The public health, the, the, the public sector side of that, just know we have a doctor's surgery in the village and that's what we do. When COVID happened, they had they were forced down that evolutionary model, for want of a better word. And now they're going, this is a great cost saving, actually, and it, it probably works a little bit better. So, and it, but again, it's it's attitude of of the designers of that service rather than whether it's humanly possible or not. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think you know I could talk about this all day, but just so obviously we've seen we've kind of heard where you've come from, Ross, and you're sort of massive passion for these sorts of shifts that are happening so what what, what are you up to now how are you you know making these so, things so I, I guess firstly it's worth saying that whilst we might not be 100 percent focused on the area that we were in previously i absolutely wholehearted believe in the things that i'm talking at about are in the fabric of the culture of my business and so the people that work for us understand that it's okay to say 
I'm going to do this. And this could be picking up a poorly child or going to a sports day or going and having a run for an hour, right? So I am of the opinion that all I want from you as, as somebody that works for me is openness about what you're doing so I can plan and a commitment to deliver the output that makes our business a success. And, and that's it. And, and how that all works in hours in the day, days of the week, months of the year, that, that, that's up to you to, to, to tell me how you can kind of make that uh, function for you. Um, in terms of our business, we took what we built, which was a, a kind of early stage booking system. We took what we understood about venues, which is they had uh, spaces for hire, but actually the process for hiring those was really clunky. It was inquiry form driven. It was slow, long lead times. We looked at the rest of the world that had online booking and travel is the best example where you can go on and, you know, book your 10 grand trip to Nepal without talking to another human and said, well, why can't I hire a meeting room for eight people for three hours with tea and coffee in the same way? Um, <laughs> And we kind of went out and spent some time with the people that worked in those industries. And we built our product switch, which is a basically a property management system for venues that have spaces and facilities for hire with an emphasis on online booking and self-service tools for people that are booking events, meetings, functions. Um, and we largely provide that into um, higher education, further education, uh, local authorities like councils. Um, but essentially, it works for anybody that has venues where they hire space and facilities. Um, and so I guess where this kind of comes back round to where we started is those businesses have a great portfolio of assets and a lot of them are located within communities. And so whilst we've talked to them about the traditional things that they would do, which is higher event space for conferences and higher meeting space, we've also talked to them about adapting to the new world. So, you know. Firstly, speak to your local businesses and, and understand what their, their evolving needs for space are, particularly if they've rationalised or gone away from having an office altogether. So, so redefine your proposition around what the new customer looks like. Recognise that hybrid services are important to people. They might have um, a bunch of, they might want, they might have staff all over the country and they might want to have a day, but they might want to have staff that are based in Newcastle at a Newcastle venue and staff that are based in London at a London venue. So think about the hybrid side of things. If you've got outdoor space, talk to people about outdoor events because they're very, you know, they're very uh, sort of health and safety conscious now. And we all know it's better to be outside with COVID. So if you've got great, um, if you've got land anywhere, think about how you can use that and how you can pitch that to those people. Um, and think about pop-up workspace um, where you've got, you know, buildings and 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 uh, facilities within communities. So, yes, we are ultimately delivering a product that allows them to execute against running the operation of hiring space. But part of that process is helping them on the journey to understanding what the new customer looks like, and therefore how their proposition needs to be reshaped to speak to those people that are looking for a different set of services now. Amazing. So you're almost by the back door <coughs> driving the uh, community sort of led approach through through the people that own the real estate, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to. And I think I think some of it's resonating. And actually, uh, for my sins, I'm also a local councillor where I live. So I have the opportunity to do both things here and, and kind of 
help shape some of the services that we provide within the community with my council hat on um, and also think about the technology that drives that so it's really you know ultimately we have a business to run and it has a product to sell which is a, a software product to manage property um, and that is a massive priority for us but i think these the, the kind of future of work is is part and parcel of that and um as you can tell, I've got far too much to say about it and therefore it's <laughs> impossible for me not to talk about it when I'm trying to sell software. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. That's been really cool. We've we've overrun slightly, but fantastic to talk to you, Ross. And I'm so glad we got you on because, yeah, your your thoughts and your sort of, you know, the thinking you've done on this over the last few years is just, yeah, it's really inspiring. So um, brilliant. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. No, thank you both very much. I, I've, I've really enjoyed kind of venting and <laughs> getting excited about all this stuff it's good it's good to chat about it brilliant great so yeah thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did if um you'd like to get in touch with us and like to join our community um work remotely work in a community hub then um visit our website the inspired marketing group imgroup.co.uk i think i'd know that by now um, and click join and you can become a part of our community. If you uh, would like some help with your marketing, you want a distributed marketing function that can help you grow um, without adding uh, overhead, then uh, again, have a look at the website, the imgroup.co.uk. Uh, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, thanks again, Ross. Great to see you and we'll see you all on the next one. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Yeah.